Well, good morning. First of all, happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there. You guys are going to love me when we get done, believe me. <laughs> but it's great being a dad, isn't it? I have two kids of my own. They don't live here, and I don't get to see them as often as I used to. But it's still awesome to be a dad on Father's Day. This morning's message is Psalm 53. And, this, and the question that I want us to ask as we go through this psalm, and it'll make sense as we go, is are we more like Saul or are we more like David? You'll see why in a second when we get through this. But Psalm 53 is like a surgeon with a scalpel. A surgeon takes his razor-sharp scalpel, and it's not really very long, but he quickly cuts deep into your body your guts, to find that tumor or that problem that is causing your illness, and he removes it. And when the surgeon has completed his work and he's closed you up, there's that hope that what has been wrong with you has now been taken care of forever. And Psalm 53 is only six verses, but it is as sharp as the chief physician's scalpel. And as we go through it today, you may feel it dig deep into your soul and find the sin that is spreading and keeping you from having the relationship with the Lord that you desire to have. And that the chief physician will cut it out so that you can live in the hope of our Savior and Lord that he has healed you from the inside out. The thing about Psalm 53 that's interesting is it doesn't really provide a definitive history where it sits in the life of King David, who is the author. And it is almost exactly the same psalm as Psalm 14. If you're familiar with the Psalter, you would know that. The differences between the two psalms are actually found in verses 5 and 6. And this is really information for you to know. That Psalm 14 speaks more about the rescue of the righteous, while Psalm 53 deals more with God's wrath against the ungodly. So isn't it fortunate for us today that we're talking about Psalm 53 as opposed to Psalm 14? <laughs> but, and this is where math, my math skills come into play, it is exactly between 52 and 54. I know, you're amazed I came up with that. Thank you for your praise this week, or your prayers this week that actually allowed that to be found. But the reason why that is significant is because as Don preached in, in Psalm 52 last week and what we'll see in Psalm 54 next week, it's during a period of time during Dave's li David's life, Dave's life, yes, Dave, the King Dave, <coughs> I have a bit of a cold. And so um, if my voice catches or something happens, you'll know why. But anyway, King David's life, where Saul, the, the, the chosen king of Israel by God, was chasing after David and trying to kill him, mainly out of jealousy because David was becoming more well-known and respected than Saul. And Saul didn't care for that. And Saul had turned his back on the Lord and disobeyed God's command so often that in 1 Samuel 15, 11, God said, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me 
and has not performed my commandments. So the assumption that David, in this psalm, who himself was not a perfect person by any means, was writing Psalm 53 while thinking about Saul makes sense. Especially when we consider that Saul was chasing David around trying to kill him. So let's read Psalm 53 together. It would be helpful if I got the Bible out, wouldn't it? Psalm 53, starting in verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are, in great terror, where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you, and you put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we are so grateful again to come before you with your word. And I just ask God, especially this morning, that you would speak through me because my voice is not the same as it normally is, and I need your help. But these are your words, Lord, they're not mine. And so I pray, God, that you would preach through me to the people, that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear what it is that you would have to say to us, that we would look at ourselves and examine our hearts as to where we truly stand with you, Lord, and that by the time we leave this morning, we would know where we stand with you. I praise you and thank you for your word. I praise you and thank you for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question again is that I want us to see, I want us to ask ourselves, is am I more like Saul or am I more like David? Because when we see in verse 1, David comes right out of the gate. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who do good. So the consequences of an atheist or anyone who actually has the gall to say that there is no God that denies his existence is devastating, as we see in verses 2 through 5, and especially in verse 5 when God says that those who reject him, he will reject them also. And the word that David uses for fool means to be a denier of God, and the word for that, that for the phrase in his heart means that in his inner being or intellect deep within the soul. So this means that the fool denies is a denier of God and he has this level of contempt that moves from his inner part of his soul up into his mind to the point where he doesn't even acknowledge God's existence even when we look outside and we can truly see that God exists 
just by his creation. He, it's plainly obvious that there is a God. And yet the atheist or the one who denies God plainly cannot see that. They do not recognize that. Their decision-making refuses to see that God is the authority over their lives. And certainly, they do not give God any praise in worship. In fact, excuse me, Psalm 19.1 speaks to creation itself, declaring God's existence and revealing his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God, with the hand of an artist, reveals himself in his creation. Only a fool would deny him. Only a fool would say all this just happened by chance, that there's not a grand artist behind the masterpiece upon which we live. We read earlier in 1 Samuel that Saul did not follow God. He did not follow his laws. He did not see God as the authority over his life and that God regretted making him king. 1 Samuel 15, 11, I'll read it again. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. That is not how I want God to remember me. And I hope that that's not how God remembers you. I do not want God to say that he regretted doing anything in my life. But this isn't the first time. God regretted making humans back in Genesis 6-5 because they had become so corrupt. Genesis 6-5 says this through verse 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. What a powerful statement. God, I mean, this is Genesis chapter 6. This is not long after the creation story. And God was already regretting that he made man because we were so corrupt. What does God say about us today? When we look back at our psalm and we see that, God, or that Saul had rejected God's authority and he had become so engrossed in the jealousy of David that he was willing to kill him. And today we live in a society that minute by minute thinks that we are smarter than the Creator. And we take His moral laws and we just demolish them as though they don't exist. Or at least they have no authority over us. Paul writes this in Romans 1, 22-32, and yes, I do know that this is a long passage, regarding the fool who denies God's authority. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men 
and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Boy, this is, this is not good, is it? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God. Haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I think he's got them all. And though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Does that sound at all familiar today at all? Do you see any, anything happening today where that might be relevant? And I realize that these verses bring up all kinds of questions about things that we could spend hours discussing, but we don't have time to do that. Because I bring this up because I want you to see that the world in which we live today is no different than the world that David lived in and the world that Paul lived in in his day. Times change, but people don't. We are still sinners today, still doing the same sins that were done a thousand years ago. In the world we live in today, society has rejected the Lord's authority and his commands in our schools, our workplaces, in our government, and in our public square. And it seems that we can no longer have a cordial debate with people regarding the truth of Scripture and the love God has for people and his intolerance for sin and his redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. Jesus has become a curse word and an abomination of hate instead of the suffering servant who laid down his life so we didn't have to receive the punishment that our rejection of God deserves. Understand this, that even as Christians, we can at times take our eyes off the Lord and become corrupt too. We have no reason to stand as prideful, saved people and say, look at us, we are wonderful. We are God's favorite. Na, 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 all you who reject God, you will get yours in the end. Because in verses 2 and 3 in our psalm, David writes, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Who's glad they are here this morning? I mean, honestly, thank you. I appreciate that because this is the word of God and we need to know it whether it's hard or it's not. These verses should cause us to stop and examine ourselves before our Lord that we are not any better than those who outright reject the Lord. Romans 2.1 says to us, Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on, a, on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Please hear me when I say this. We are all corrupt. 
We are all prideful, self-seeking sinners. None of us have a righteous bone in our bodies. Everything we do, we do for our own selves. In fact, Paul recites these similar verses that we see here in Psalm 53 in Romans 10 through, excuse me, Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. <laughs> so, in the end, we're just like Saul, which is frightening. And David recognizes this in verses 2 and 3. And when David speaks of being corrupt, he means that we have turned sour to God. We have turned our faces away from him. We have stopped worshiping our God by putting other gods in front of gathering together as a church body to bring our worship to him. Our Sunday morning gatherings have become optional. We can come as we please as long as I can get up and get ready on time. Or I don't have anything else better to do that's more important. When the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, Hebrews 10, 23 through 35, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are called to gather together. Sunday worship, in fact, giving the Lord our worship, not just on Sunday, but our praise every minute of every day of the week must be a priority for us. Because look at what God has done for us. How can we possibly justify to ourselves and to him that he has become an option to us? I hope that stings a little because it stung me quite a bit when I was writing it. And I don't want to be alone. In fact, our churches should be full every Sunday with people clamoring to get inside for the chance to worship the God who sent his son to die so that you wouldn't have to. There should be no excuse for empty pews in a church. But there are. We have fallen away and backslidden from God. We have turned sour and become filthy to him by our lukewarm worship of him. Let me ask you some questions. These might be a little painful. When was the last time that you shared your faith with someone? When was the last time you prayed and asked God to bring someone you know who was lost to faith in Jesus? When was the last time that you put your work aside and put the Lord first in your life? What is the most important thing in your life? What does your spending habits say? What do you spend the most time doing? Watching TV? Listening to music? Thinking lustful thoughts? Watching TikTok videos? Following your friends on Instagram or Facebook? When was the last time you just sat and contemplated the glory of God? 
in his creation. You know that Picket Wire is not far from here in Vogel Canyon. And there is a, it is just a great place to go and sit by yourself and contemplate the Lord. And I realize it's hot, but go in the morning. Get up early. Go first thing in the day. Spend time with your God alone. When was the last time that you made a list of all the great things that God has done for you instead of complaining to him in prayer about what he hasn't done for you? When was the last time that you told your spouse that you love him or her? When was the last time you told your kids, even the ones that might be a pain to you? If we are not doing these things and following God's commands, are we not rejecting God in our own way? Because we are in disobedience, showing that he has no real authority over us because we don't obey him. So let me ask you, are you more like David or are you more like Saul? A couple of weeks ago, the, the wits came over for lunch and Eli wanted a glass of milk. And Sherry and I don't drink a lot of milk, but we have milk in the back of our refrigerator. And so Betsy got it out, and as she was pouring Eli this glass of milk, all we heard was clunk, clunk, clunk into the glass <laughs> because that milk was pretty old. It was a little chunky. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was gross, no doubt about it. But in some ways, I think that our faith has become the same way. Our faith is like sour, chunky milk. It's gross. It is gross. Because I, I say that because God actually deserves our best. He doesn't deserve to get what's left from the back of the fridge. He deserves our fresh worship. Do you want to be more like, do you want God to see you more like David? Or do you want him to see you more like Saul? Verse 4 describes those who deny or reject God as having no knowledge. Again, going back to the beginning of our psalm and not recognizing that God indeed has revealed himself to us in so many ways. Verse 4 says, Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon God. Verse 4 is talking about those people that have no knowledge of God, have no interest in knowing anything about God. They don't recognize him as their authority, oppressing those of us who do acknowledge God and those who do worship and obey with the full knowledge of him as our authoritative Lord. And this would look a lot like what David is going through with Saul as he is per always running away from Saul as, as, as Saul is trying to kill him. David is just trying to obey the Lord's call on his life and even when he has several opportunities to kill Saul, he doesn't take them. So again, I ask, in your life, are you more like David or Saul? Do you get angry and frustrated and lash out in anger? Or do you cry to the Lord for forgiveness and seek to follow his commandments every day? Dads, how do your sons and daughters see you? And moms, you're not excused from this either. As parents, we set the example for our kids, the next generation coming up, how is your view of the authority of God in your life? And I'm also talking to everyone else, too. The world is watching us. 
How can we reach the world if the word of God is not reaching us first? The consequences of verse 4 are found in verse 5. And this is a, this is a, a very tough verse. But listen to what it says. There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame for God has rejected them. Those who reject God live in terror. They live in great fear and dread without any reason. They don't need to. If they were to surrender their pride and come to the Lord, they would find peace instead of fear, hope instead of oppression, love instead of terror, forgiveness instead of judgment. We search for solutions everywhere but God. And as the second half of verse 5 states, God will reject those who reject him. He will scatter their bones, those who come against him and his people. God rejected Saul because Saul rejected him. When David failed later in his life with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, and then was confronted by Nathan regarding his sin, he wept and repented his sin that he had sinned against God. And the Lord forgave him. And there were still consequences for his behavior and sin, but God did not reject David. He was known as a man after God's own heart in spite of his own iniquity. Do you want to be forgiven like David, or do you want to be rejected like Saul? The last verse of Psalm 53, David cried out in hope for salvation to come out of Zion, out of Israel, and that he yearns for Israel to be saved and restored. He holds on to God's promise that the Lord will restore his chosen people. And as we know, David's cry for salvation has indeed come out of Zion by the incarnation and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of God. Hope has been restored in Christ. Verse 6 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. The passage that Don read for us in Acts 4, 1 through 12 is so powerful and it speaks to what David was crying out for so perfectly. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 again in Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, the leaders, right? The ones who should know better. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Then he goes on. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the salvation that came out of Zion. But people still reject Jesus, just like the leaders of the Jewish faith did. Men who should have known better because their Bible, the Old Testament, revealed Jesus time and time again through the Law and the Prophets, as we have seen as we've done our study in John. And as David pointed out in Psalm 53.1, only a fool rejects or denies God. And in verse 5, he says that because they do reject God, God rejects them. It is not just enough to believe in God and say a prayer and you're good to go into heaven. Because it's a, it's a saved life is a transformed life. Saul recognizes God's existence, but he didn't fully recognize God's authority in his life and rejected him. So God rejected Saul. And whether Saul was saved or not, whether he's with the Lord in heaven or not, is not for me to say. Only God knows that. Only God knows the heart of a person. I don't know that. Just as I cannot know whether or not each one of you here today or is watching online today is saved either. That is not for me to judge. That is between you and God. But one thing that I will say is this. I am sure that there is somebody here today or someone watching online who probably thinks that they're okay with the Lord because they recognize Jesus' existence and they said a prayer. I'm just going to say to you, to be truthful, I don't want you to walk out of here under false pretenses about your salvation. But if your life hasn't changed at all since you came to Christ, if you are not a changed person, then I would say examine your heart before the Lord. Look to Him and work out your salvation with fear and trembling before Him. Because if you think that just saying a prayer is good enough, brother, sister, you got another thing coming. This doesn't mean that you have to be a drug addict or a pornography addict to be rejected by God. You can be rejected by God if you do not recognize his lordship over you. If you are here today and are listening online and you still have not submitted your life to the authority of Jesus Christ and put God on the throne and taken yourself off, then today should be the day that you examine yourself before him. Again, I say a transformed life, being changed into the image of Christ is a saved life under his authority alone, worshiping him all day, every day. Know this, it is not by works that you are saved, but it is your works that are products of your salvation. Being a Christ follower, a Christian, is not a video game that we can turn off and on whenever we want. It requires us to recognize who we are before our holy God all the time, that we are sinners saved by his marvelous, undeserved grace. It has been pretty easy, I will admit, in my life to be a Christian, especially in America, but that is changing. It is no longer popular. It is no longer 
it is now considered to be intolerant and hateful. So we need to stand strong. We need to repent of our sins and know that the Lord is our authority and live our lives like it. Because we, we can't be like Saul. We must be like David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us a hard word, but a word that we need. Lord, we cannot stand here before you and claim to be saved sinners if we do not give you the authority over our lives. If we reject you, Lord, then you will reject us. Father God, I pray, Lord, that in my own heart and all the hearts of those that are here or online, Lord, that we would recognize you for who you are, our Lord, our God, our Savior. That by your grace and your grace alone, Lord, that we receive our salvation if we lay ourselves down before you and submit ourselves before your authority. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not done that yet, I pray that today would be the day. If there are those this morning, Lord, that are living under the false pretense that they are saved, but their life is not changed, I pray, God, that you would help them to examine their heart, that they would see where they are with you, and you would draw them to yourself, Lord, and they would fall before you and give their life to you once and for all. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.